Also known as Everest Part 2. Everest Part 2. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, Everest, man. We spilled over way, way into two episodes. And I'm hoping we won't go to three. We might go to three. Oh my god. We won't go to three. I'll control myself. Although there is so much to say. There was a lot to say, but the last one I felt like I reverted to my valley girl self. I listened to it like was every other word out of my mouth. I don't know what the fuck's happening. I think, well, I know for me, I was very drunk. I was sort of drunk. I was very excited. Yeah. I had a lot of enthusiasm right? about drunk ha- John Krakauer. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, and I think it made me act like a 12-year-old. So I'm going to try to regain some of my... Former decorum. Okay. And, and elegance. Oh, ooh, girl, you got to keep it classy. Um, yeah, and I, seriously, I haven't listened to the whole thing again, but I'm pretty sure that, like, there were times where what I said made no sense. I think a lot of it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So our apologies if yeah, you kept sorry. listening beyond that episode. There's a lot of us talking over each other, oh. and it's sort of a, just a jumbled mess of... Drunk enthusiasm for Everest. We, I mean, I need to just say this. We were really fucking excited to talk about this. Very excited. I feel excited to talk about it today, too, because we haven't even got to the juiciest details. We were so excited that Morgan emailed, and excuse me, texted me and said, we should climb a mountain. Actually, oops. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> okay, I'm drunk when you did that, too? No, but I'm fucking sick. And I think I was just in my, like, in my fever brain, maybe, <laughs> I suggested that. I was thinking about that on the way home on the bus today and was like, what the fuck was I thinking? It was, like, this was the next, I was like, I think we should get really in shape and climb a mountain. <laughs> and I was like, okay, but I don't want to climb, like, Mount Rainier and die there, because that's pathetic. Like, we need to climb a higher mountain, but one with less snow. I know. Which is a delicate balance. I know. What? Let's just climb Mount Everest and die there. Well, if you're going to die in a mountain, it might you, you could do worse. You yeah. know, you're in good company. Yeah. And it's, a lot of people come by your body and sort of, I don't know what they'll Take a selfie it. with you. Take a selfie with your corpse. <laughs> you'll be famous in the afterlife. Well, you'll never rot. Yeah, I know. So that's cool. It was from black. There's going to be some blackness. Yeah. But you won't rot. It happens. So, yeah. We, we didn't talk about, yeah. We need to talk about the Everest bodies as I know. well. We really have so much to tell you about. I'm very excited. So wait, you wait. promised, you promised before we left Via Marina that you would tell the story of possibly meeting a serial killer in fucking Minnesota. Okay. So I'm going to tell the story and at the end you have to tell me honestly if it's lame and if it's lame we're going to edit it out. Okay? <laughs> okay. Okay. So this, this seems like a really dramatic story but I realize now it may, it may not be. Okay. <laughs> 
So I was in Minnesota. I was on I-90, and I believe I was driving to Indiana to go visit my ex-boyfriend. Long, complicated story. Mm. I don't know why I was doing that, but I was doing that. I was alone, and it was probably... Oh, I don't know. I would say 5.36. So it was it was still light out, but it was sort of sunset-ish. Wait, summertime? Summertime. Okay. So, yeah. So okay. light, late. And there's whole stretches of Minnesota where there's fucking nothing. Oh, I know. Do you, I'm, yeah, you've probably done this. Oh, like, my God. fucking nothing. Yeah. Just flat cornfields. Yeah. No it, towns. The first time I ever... It actually happened to me in North Dakota, the first time I ever saw land that had no mountains, in Minnesota, had, no, in North Dakota, and I okay. had a panic attack. Really? Yeah, like my only panic attack I've ever had. It was it stressed me out so badly. Just flat as far as the eye can yeah, see. Yeah, it's fucking scary. Anyway, so yeah, so I'm in Minnesota, fucking nothing. So I'm in like middle of nowhere, Minnesota. Yeah, and no other cars on the road. It's very you know, uh, mm. just an empty stretch, and I'm going. I don't know. I'd say eighty. And pretty fast. Right. And a car comes up behind me and gets right on my ass. And there's no no reason whatsoever to get on anyone's ass because there's no. no there's no traffic. No. So I'm like, dude, what the fuck is this? No. So I slow way down. I'm like, okay, fucking pass me. Doesn't pass me. Oh my fucking So then God, I speed no. way the fuck up. So then I'm going 100. Then I'm going like 110. <gasps> Oh my god. This I'm going is, like as fast as my car can okay, go. Really quick. This is a horrifying story because I literally cannot even imagine what going 110 in my car would be like. That it's, sounds so scary. When it's straight and flat, it's not. It actually, you don't really notice it. Honestly. And so I'm going as fast as I can. The guy, and I can tell it's a guy in the rearview mirror. Oh god. Right on my ass. Oh my god. That's so scary. So I was like, oh shit. I was like, okay. So this guy's like <sighs> clearly fucking with me. So then I slow back down, and then he, like, passes me, and this goes on for a little while. Like, this probably goes on for, like, 20 minutes. Dude, why didn't you fucking pull off? There's no place to pull off. That's the thing. I'm not going to, like, pull off on the side of the highway. Oh, yeah, That's not good. So this goes on for a while, and then I'm like, oh, shit. Like, this guy is, like, right fucking on top of me and will not, like, get away from me. So finally, I see... Just an exit. And it's one of those exits that doesn't go anywhere. It's just a, like, you know, like a random country road. There's no right. town or anything. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to get off here. If this motherfucker follows me, I'm calling the cops. Like, that's it. So I pull off and I wait. So I pull off and, like, park. Like, I don't park, but I'm, like, you know, at this sort of intersection where you can either, like, take a right or a left or you can get, go straight to get back on. Right. And I wait to see if he's going to pull off behind me, and he doesn't. And so I sit there for a while because I'm like, I don't want to like deal with this person anymore and wait. And then he doesn't, doesn't do anything, which is why the story is not that dramatic. Girl. But I will tell you this, like a fucking, I don't know, maybe a day or two later, I got a phone call that one of my childhood friends had been murdered in, in, in hiking in the mountains. I've told you that story. So it was like wait, that you... same trip that I figured that wait, out. Wait, wait, wait. You were like actually friends with her? Yeah. Oh my god, we need to talk about that on a podcast. I thought you knew that. I didn't know you guys were like like homies. I we, thought you like, knew we've been of homies her. in like middle school and high school, <gasps> and this was she was twenty seven when she was murdered. So I mean, it was quite a quite a few years years after. Oh my god! But it was the same like so. I associate this 
incident with that because I found out about it, like, right around the same time. Oh, my God. Like, it okay. was... No, P.S., you almost got murdered. Right? Like, how fucked up is that? So... That's so scary. And I've driven across country... Well, actually, a bunch of times. But th- I've driven done two times just by myself, and that's the only time anything scary happened, which I think is actually Okay, knock on wood good. right now. Okay, but I'm not going to... I don't think I'm going to do it again. I don't think I'm going to do another drive across country again. But oh that was the only thing, so... Like I said, we can edit that out. Maybe oh that's God. not that exciting. No. But totally, you almost got murdered. <laughs> I almost got murdered. If you had pulled off on the side of the road, you would have been murdered. Or if I had just not noticed and gone to a rest stop, he would have murdered me. Oh, my God. Oh, and you just get murdered at rest stops. If you ever stop at a rest stop, you're going to get murdered. But if you're by yourself, well, no, if you're on the freeway at all, you have to fucking go to a rest stop. You have to pee. No. Where nope. do you go? You go to a gas station where it's brightly lit. I hate gas stations. And you disgusting. have to do it. That's the only place no, you can do it. Rest stops. Sorry. I go to rest stops. Okay, so... Quit going to rest stops! Well, I don't know. But... Oh my god. (laughs) I've been to many rest stops by myself. And it's scary. That's not good. Okay, so major detour into Minnesota. And... (gasps) Almost getting killed. Almost getting murdered. Oh my god! Okay, so now we're heading back to Mount Everest. We're heading back to... We've left John Krakauer in his tent. Oh my god. He has made the descent. Yeah. He's... Barely. Barely. And is now in his tent passed out and thinking great everyone made it and feeling good yes okay meanwhile (laughs) in bizarro everest world everything is going to fucking shit like quickly okay and and, Um, i just want to stop morgan has got no exaggeration (laughs) five pages of single space notes but it's because i just had to keep everything straight that's not a criticism i think that's a beautiful thing because i am just i'm free balling here with no notes Girl. and so i've said shit that's not true and other ones um so i, I respect you and your notes so i'm sorry keep going. girl when keep i going. free ball it don't make no sense because i just it's just like Me ideas neither. coming to my mind i know whatever okay so john Krakauer makes it to the summit right but he was not the only one other people summited too. So we need to include that Sandy Hill Pittman, that motherfucking debutante ass, rich ass, bringing all her shit to motherfucking Mount Everest camp, including her son and his nanny bitch. Scott was like super concerned that she made it to the top of Everest. Because and which she had tried to summit at least two other times before. It didn't make it. And like she was known to be a shitty climber. I know. Like it was weird. She had all of this high altitude experience, but to do anything she needed all kinds of help from other people that she yeah. had to pay. Yeah. Gross. I really honestly think she just thought of it as like a fashion, like a f- like, oh my god, if I do this, everyone will look at me more. Because like before she left, she like threw this party. Where she came out in her, like, high-altitude gear and had a fucking sash made of carabiners. I'm gonna be like, bitch, you're so stupid. Oh, so gross. So, okay, Sandy Pittman, like, Scott really wanted her, Scott Fisher of Mountain Madness, really wanted her to get to the top because he felt like he was not getting enough cred in the climbing world. And he was like, if I can get this high-profile bitch to the top of Mount Everest, she can make me... And he was, I think he was right. I mean, I think. Totally. And to, to be fair, she did summit. I mean, I know, so. Although, like, he should have realized that she's actually just hella selfish and, like, doesn't want to talk about anyone but herself. True. And, and 
he, he died. So, I mean, yeah, it, it right. didn't help him that she summited. But totally. let's talk about how she managed to summit. Right. So, okay. Um, well, all the other thing, too, is that, like, he was he felt like he she could make him, but also that she could break him. So, if she didn't summit again, he felt like, man, it's probably my only chance. So, it was really imperative that Sandy gets to the top. So, the way that that fucking happens is Lopsang, suddenly... The Sirdar for Madness. Young man, right? Good climber. Like, he just, on the summit day, fucking, like, takes a little rope and clips her to it and then starts hauling ass up the mountain. Well, and it's called short roping. And and John Krakauer describes it, I'm sure Anatoly Bukreev does too in The Climb, I can't visualize what this actually looks like. Yeah. Like, John Cracker, like I said, describes what it is. I'm like, okay. But all I can picture is Lapsang Jongbu, who's a quite small person. I mean, I think he's like 5'2 or 5'3. Right. He's a small guy. Well, Here, he's... We'll talk about that later. What? He's dead. Well, yeah, okay. He, yeah, yes, he's <laughs> dead. He's de- like, a lot of these people are dead. He's dead as well. But he was... A small person. And I picture him carrying Sandy Pittman on his back. I'm sure it wasn't quite like that, but like on piggyback, like up the mountain. That's what it kind of, that's, and that's what John Krakauer kind of makes it seem yeah. like, right? But I think it's, so it's actually a, like a three foot length of rope. So, you know, it's still a short ass rope, right? But I'm pretty sure that the way that it works is that they have like a carabiner where they stick it to their harness, like the lead person sticks it to their harness. It's almost like you're towing a car, kind of. You know when you see those, like, like cars that are towing those broke-ass trucks yeah. behind them with those little ropes? That's exactly what it's like. But can you, um, th- I mean, that can't be all it is, because that would be, t- I mean, if it was really like that, that'd be towing, like, I don't know, however much she weighed, 160 pounds of yeah. dead weight. Right. And I can't imagine that's really what it was, because I don't think that would be physically possible for him to do that. Well, so, what, what ends up happening, right, is, like, sh- he short ropes her, and he's also not wearing an oxygen mask, uh-uh. which seems like a super bad idea. Um, but, I mean, that's, like, superhuman. Right. To be able to do something like that with no supplemental right. oxygen. You're that's climbing for crazy. two. Totally. So he's he's short roping her. He also, keep in mind, has been carrying her fucking 80-pound satellite phone, so he's already exhausted. He, at one point, they talk about coming upon, like, up a ridge and Lopsing is standing there just barfing his guts out. But he also said in an interview later, I can't remember which book I read this in, that that was typical of him to do at high, on high altitude climbs. Oh, and really? he always vomited. Oh, And so okay. he was like, oh, John Krakauer putting that in his book made it seem like I was weak or tired. He was yeah. like, no. He's like, I always did that. That was a normal thing for me, just dealing with the stress of the climb. Okay. So. Yeah, I, I also, I feel like it's a lot of, like, a lot of the response has been climbers being like, no, uh yeah, pretty Why much. I didn't do that. No, no. I know. And I'm not saying John Krakauer was always right in everything he said. I'm sure right. he made mistakes and was yeah. wrong about oh, things. Oh, totally, yeah. But it's, I, I don't know, because I think we need to talk about the, eventually, the difference in tone between The Climb by Anatoly Bukri right. and Into Thin Air totally. and the controversy between those two things. Yeah. Because Anatoly Bukri was the lead guide on Mountain Madness. So he talks much more, obviously, about that expedition. Right. Which is interesting. It's a different perspective of what was happening there. It super is. Does he talk about the Sandy Pittman thing? About her being short-roped up? I don't remember him talking about that. Um, I also don't remember him talking about that. Okay. 
so what happens is Sandy, after all this, says, well, I didn't ask him to do that. And there was question about whether Lopsang, he said later on, there's conflicting stories, but he said later on that he thought it was uh, Lenny Gamagard because he thought that she was going to be the weakest or something. And we should which say is who weird. she was. She was a Danish woman mm-hmm. who was on the Mountain Madness team. And I'm, there are a lot of names here to, to deal with. Right. And so what I'll do is I'll put a list of all the people on the website. Ooh, good idea. Because it's too much to handle like all who all these people are but anyway she was another just another climber right which she actually was kind of experienced so that's it's stupid that he said that so um yeah so she was getting all this preferential treatment to get up the mountain and struggled i mean like she had a rough still struggled so she was carried up a lot of the way yeah totally and really had a hard time so and but she did she did end up summiting right i mean so it was successful in that way yep and actually, everybody on Mountain Madness ended up summiting. They did, I know, which is crazy because that was not the case for adventure consultants. No, so just just to like refresh, like so we have basically three different expeditions climbing Mount Everest on the same day. Mm-hmm. So we've got Mountain Madness, which yep. is based in Seattle with Scott Fisher. We have Adventure Consultants, which is what Drunk Hack Hour was on with Rob Hall from New Zealand, and then we have the Taiwanese team. Who are a bunch of doidoys up on the mountain. <laughs> Honestly. Seriously. Led by a guy named Makalu Gao, who have no business being on a mountain. So those are the three yeah. like, major groups of people all climbing at the same time. And they become commingled into just one big group. Yeah. A basically. giant clusterfuck. Just a bunch giant clusterfuck. Of, totally. Of climbing. Totally. So another thing that Mountain Madness was doing, and we, we've talked about Tolly, but... There's a lot of criticism in the John Crack Hour book because Tolly was seen going up. So he believes, I feel like this is a very Russian man thing to do, but he does not believe in supplemental oxygen. So he, the idea was like, oh, I'll have supplemental oxygen if I feel like I need it. But like he has summited a million mountains without doing supplemental oxygen. So he was not doing oxygen here, which was highly criticized because, hi, you're a guide. And then number two, he was seen without a pack. Which is also like something that is super not common for a guide because you're trying to lighten the load for all of your clients. So if you're not carrying shit, the Sherpas are carrying all the shit. Like you should have some kind of like canisters of oxygen or something that you, you can bring You should be with carrying you. emergency shit. Totally. To be used to help clients. Or at least that's what John Krakauer right. argues. So he like highly criticizes that shit. If you if we're looking at kind of the timeline, right? This is kind of nuts. Doug Hansen, we talked about him a little bit last time. So are we back to adventure consultants at this point? Yeah. He was not looking good the night before. And he, so he, he was, was the mail carrier from Kent, Washington. Yeah. Who John Cacquero was close friends with. And this guy had almost summited Everest the year before. Right. And Rob Hall back. talked him into coming back for this, for this summit bid. Yeah. And he did it. So he was not looking good, and everyone says also that they knew Doug was really agonized over the fact that he did not make it to Everest over the last one, and that Rob Hall also felt really, really, really bad because on the last, last years, they were within 300 feet of the summit and had to turn around. Like, that is so close, and they could not make it. We You talked last time about how... As a climber, you really have to trust your gut. Frank Fishbeck was the one who like felt early in the morning and he was like, this doesn't feel right and turned around. And so Stuart Hutchinson 
and Lou Kasishki and John Tasky all by 11.40 in the morning had turned around because they felt like something was not okay. Well, and they also were like, there's no way we're going to make it up in time. Right. Because what had, one of the bigger issues, like, one of the reasons reading The Climb by Anatoly Bukhrip is interesting is because really fundamentally, I feel like that book is a criticism of Scott Fisher's leadership abilities in being able to manage sort of a guiding expedition. Right. Because there were so many things that fell apart that could have very easily been avoided. One of the things that they had to do is they had to, we talked about this last time, they had to like set the ropes from, I can't remember, I don't know which point it is, but there's a certain point where you have to have ropes beyond that point because if Mm -hmm. you don't, it's too dangerous. Mm -hmm. And when the front of the pack got there, which included John Krakauer, there were no ropes that were set. Right. And so there was a completely long and laborious process of Anatoly Bukhreev and I think someone else who I don't know going and setting up the ropes. Mm -hmm. So that could have been done way earlier and they just didn't do it for whatever reason. And it's not clear why that didn't happen. So the Sherpas argued that they told him not, that Scott and Rob told him not to. Yeah. But I think again, like fucking what's his face from Amityville, Butch, (laughs) it's really easy to blame dead people. It's really easy to blame dead people. To make you look better. And And I feel like there's a lot of that here too. Well, and you're dealing with your brain being impaired because of the lack of oxygen. So who knows like what really happened. But anyway, that the ropes were not set, which made everything at least an hour behind schedule, probably more like two or three hours behind schedule. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, all of these things were happening. So the four men that you just described, I think the more, there were some people who were like, Ooh, this doesn't feel right. I'm out of here. But then there was the more rational way of looking at it, which is like, there's no fucking way we're going to get there in time. Exactly. Like, there's, it's just not going to happen. The turnaround time was supposed to be between 1 and 2 right. p.m. And by 11.40, they still had three hours to go. Yeah. And they were like, no, we're, we're not, not going to make it. it. Fuck this. Like, we're out of here. And right. that, that's a very rational response. Everybody else on the mountain, I'm like, what the fuck were you guys doing? Oh, my God. it gets And it gets so much worse. So the only people, right, by 2 o'clock, the latest turnaround time, who had summited... And they had just done it, pretty much, like like a half an hour before, with John Krakauer, Tolly, Andy Harris, Neil Vitalman. Oh, so Andy Harris was a guide for um, Adventure Consultants. Yeah, Vitalman was a guide for Mountain Madness, and Martin Adams, who was a client with Mountain Madness. Right. So we're talking what four people? Right, out of two of whom were guides. A lot. Or three, no, three of whom were, were guides. guides. Yep. I mean, or five people, three of whom were guides. And right. so at that point in time, rationally speaking, everybody else should have been turned around. And if they had done that, probably nobody would have died. Right. And we would definitely not be talking about this. Totally. But for whatever reason, they didn't do that. They totally didn't. Girl, this next thing scared me so badly. Okay, so the uh, the Sherpas were down below. I don't remember which camp they were at. Um, I don't think it was clearly defined. But they were watching them go to the summit through a telescope. And all of a sudden, the Sherpas started freaking out about the star. The star. They kept talking about the star. Oh, that's in the climb. Yeah. And the guy, the guy who was retelling this said it was from, like, another expedition. But he said he saw it, too. So it wasn't like they were just seeing something fucking crazy. Apparently, okay, astronomers were consulted. There was no comet. There was no comet. But, like, all these people saw this fucking star in the sky at, like, in the afternoon. That's so fucking weird. I know. And they were like, this is a bad sign. Yeah, there's that's the creepy thing about this oh shit is God. there's all kinds of bad omens that 
are bigger than just, oh, people are making bad decisions or people are being superstitious. It's like, yeah. no, there's, there's weird stuff going on with this. Totally. Okay, so it was meant to two happen. o'clock, all the four people who have ascended, except for Neil Beidelman, head down. Right. Okay. Yep. Now Neil Beidelman ends up on the fucking summit for like two fucking hours, I know. which is crazy. I know. And I've re- seen interviews with him, and he's and he was like, I keep feeling like I gotta go down. Yeah. But then he would see more clients coming up over the over the horizon. He's like, Well, shit, I should wait for them. Right. And it, so he ends up. I mean, can you imagine being on the summit for two hours? That's to me is out of control. John Cracker was up there for like three minutes, which yeah. I think is an appropriate amount of time to be there. Yeah, like, well, I did it. I'm going to head back down cool, now. Cool, bye. Because I'm literally dying. Yeah. I know. Okay, so by 2.10, right, so Neil Bynum standing up there waiting for all these people. Sandy Pittman Summit, Charlotte Fox, Lopsang, because he's the one that brought Sandy Pittman up there, Tim Madsen. And these are all from Mountain Madness. All just from to, Mountain Madness. Just to Madsen. clarify, yep. so not the group that John Cracker was with. These were right. all different expedition yep and laney gamelgard rob hall mike groom and yasuko nambo reached the summit around the same time a little bit after okay that. so those three people are from adventure, adventure consultants. consultants so and i know this is confusing because they've all just like merged into one group at this point right so Bidelman's still hanging out up there and by three o'clock he's waiting for scott now scott still hasn't shown up he's the the head, the head of guy. this whole thing yeah so what they decide is they're they're like, we gotta, we need to leave. Like, this is crazy. We gotta go. They run into Scott on the way down, and he has, like, a conversation with him. They, they're up at the top, right? They hit the Hillary step, and then below that is the South Summit. Once they hit the South Summit, Sandy Pittman just fucking collapses. Yeah. And, like, can't move anymore. So, what they do is they give her an injection of this thing called dexamethasone. Yeah. Or Dex for short, which sounds like really like a drug, like a drug that you want to do. And what it do, what it does, is it temporarily counteracts the effects of the high altitude. So they like give her Charlotte Fox. They like do this description of Charlotte Fox standing out there, like with this smile on her face after she just injected Sandy Hill Pittman. They're like dragging Sandy down the mountain and sliding her until she got her senses back. Like, yeah, what the fuck. Literally, like, just dragging someone down a mountain. Like, why and are you doing this? She's on oxygen, full flow, yeah. and has been given, I'm a, I don't know what this drug is, a steroid or something speed or something. Yeah. And she does come around, right. but apparently this has sort of been her MO with other times that she has climbed mountains above whatever, a certain altitude, she just, like, falls apart. Right. Like, she doesn't have the constitution to deal with this this type of altitude yet yeah. still keeps doing it. And I was like, like what, what the, the fuck? F- you're bop. seriously just putting everyone in danger. And they want so badly for her to get up and down this mountain safely because she has a ton of power and influence and money. Yeah. And so they're seriously risking their lives to get her yeah. down, up and down the mountain, which is bullshit. But she does so, she does perk up and starts to be able to like climb down right. on her own at that point. Totally. So Scott Fisher doesn't make it to the summit until 3 fucking 40. A full hour and 40 minutes after the latest turnaround time. Uh, and I have to ask the question, why did he need to summit at all? I know. What That's is that about? so weird. Like, okay, so Scott Fisher, the little, the backstory that is given, I think, kind of in both books is that he had health issues. Yeah. We're not sure what the health issues are, but he had something. They think, he. they said that he had described it as a liver cyst. 
but it gave malaria-like symptoms, whatever Ooh. it was. Like, so he had something, a chronic issue that was going on. Right. And he had been struggling with it this entire trip. Yeah. He was under a lot of stress and he was clearly not okay. Like he wasn't up to his normal strength. I don't understand. Like there was this sort of like, oh, he's got a summit. Why the fuck does he have to summit? He's he's the leader of the expedition. It doesn't matter if he yeah. summits or not. Like he's already, like that doesn't make any sense to me. This whole sort of like machismo, like, oh, I got a summit. Why? Like, I know. Who cares? Plus he had, already, he had already done it twice at this point. Yeah. This was like his third time. And I don't think he was, was he on oxygen either? I feel like he wasn't. He wasn't on this one. Okay. So there was all kinds of things going on with just him personally right. that made it where this was a really dangerous thing for him to do and he was alone right so this entire thing he's just crawling up by himself and then just they just left him alone which like, is so dumb but everyone said that when they would talk to him he seemed really tired yeah but they just didn't they thought that he was fine like he was seemed to be in good spirits or whatever so weird right this is nuts also now around 5 p.m Bidelman, so 5 fucking p.m like three hours like so for our viewers at home that's way too fucking late. Way too fucking way late, too fucking late yeah. to be on anywhere near the summit. Right, because it's going to start getting it's gonna, dark. It's going to get dark, and that's really dangerous anyway. So stupid. Okay, so Beidelman, he's accompanying everyone down the ridge, which that, that's taking... I mean, that just gives you an idea of how fucking long it takes yeah. you to get back down, right? Hours. And this is going downhill. Yeah. Like, this is not as strenuous as, obviously, as climbing up. Right. So they run into Yasuko at the balcony, which is below the south summit. So they're, they're coming down towards Camp 4. And they also notice this dude just standing there. And he says something like, oh, have you seen Rob? Have you seen Rob? And they're like, what? And it's Beck Weathers. It's fucking So Beck. the doctor, the pathologist who, and we didn't even tell the story, but on his way up, Okay, so he had had a keratotomy? Is yeah. That, is that how you say it? Eye surgery, basically. Right. Like, to correct his vision that had completely... What they hadn't taken into account is whatever the surgery had done to his eyes, it didn't work well at high altitudes because there wasn't the pressure. There wasn't the normal air pressure on the on his eyes, so he couldn't see anything. He was literally blind. He was blind. So as he gets higher and higher, his vision gets worse and worse. And so he gets to a certain point on when they're attempting the summit where he's like fuck i can't see anything yeah so he grabs rob and he's like i can't i can't see anything i this is dangerous for me to go up and rob and said instead of saying okay go down right now with a sherpa allows him to wait there yeah he says wait for me until i come back down even though he knows it's going to be eight hours until he comes back down no so imagine standing just standing in one spot where it's, I don't know, how cold do you think it is? It's definitely... Oh, it's, it's like 40 below. Well, I would say during the day it's maybe like 20 below. Girl, with the wind and shit, though? Regardless, it's really fucking cold. So yeah. imagine just standing there for eight hours when it's 20 degrees below zero. Like, that's a crazy idea. And Rob Hall tells him to do that. I know, and it makes me feel really bad because, like, multiple people talk about this guy standing there and being like, hey, have you seen Rob? And so it just like it like makes me feel and I like okay this is this is going to sound really shitty. <laughs> Beck Weathers is like this huge fucking Republican. So my first instinct is not to have any sympathy at all for him, but I like feel so sad about this. Like it makes me feel 
so sad that he was just standing there waiting like a lost child or something like well and he okay yes he's a republican but we also have to remember this is the 90s and a 90s republican is very different than today's republican one two is he's also somebody who suffered really badly from depression apparently like really had bad depression and so one of the things that he did to cope with that was climb mountains so (gasps) even though he wasn't really probably ready to climb Mount Everest. Yeah. He did it because his his depression was so bad. Like, so he would have to do these, like, major trips. No. So, or Beck. And his wife's name is Peach. And they got divorced. No! <gasps> oh, yeah. No! How could you tell me that? I'm sorry. Peach and Beck got divorced at Peach. some point. Yeah. So Fucking he's, Peach. He's more sympathetic than you would think just because you know he's a fucking republican from texas but we should we should be kind and not dislike him because of that but he seems like a nice nice guy so anyway so he's left there yeah just alone drawn crack hour passes him on the way down right and there's conflicting reports about this too although i feel like drawn crack hour is honest about what happens when he sees back he's like hey, like, do you want to come down with me? Yeah. And Beck is like, no, it's okay, I'll wait for Rob. And John Cracker even says, like, I was relieved that I wasn't going to have to deal with that. Right. Because you would be dealing with somebody who's blind, basically, and really cold. Yeah. Which would be a nightmare. Like, I don't even know how he would do that. So anyway, so he was like, okay, cool, see you later. (laughs) Peace out, good luck. But I, like, and it's like, I think that's a normal reaction. Like, I don't think anybody would be like, oh, really? No, let me do, let me just, like, take you down. Like, no, I think normally you would want somebody who's paid to do it to actually take responsibility for that. Right, which is ultimately what happens, not with Rob Hall, but Mike Groom ends up tethering back to him as they're all on their way down. So we end up with two guides. So we have Mike Groom and Neil Beidelman with this sort of mixed group of clients all kind of merging together, Beck being the last addition to this group of people Yep. as they make their way down the mountain very late right. in the day. So we need to like reiterate, like it's very late. Super late. Like dark at this point. Yep. And the weather has gotten really very bad. bad so like the weather drunk so drunk half hour is probably he says this he's probably no more than like a half hour in front of this group but in the space of the time where he gets to the tents like the weather just like completely goes to shit right like where you can't even see your hand in front of your face no. kind of situation and they say the wind chill was 100 degrees below zero oh fuck like i've been in weather that was 30 degrees below zero and it was fucking mind-blowing like i can't even tell you i can't describe what that felt like oh my god so i'm thinking a hundred degrees below zero <gasps> like what like that's how are people even survive that's like on mars like that's not oh even my god. Like, survivable and wow. so i mean that's with wind chill but still girl i mean that's crazy that's town fucking crazy so anyway. i can't even imagine you no. would, I just feel like you would die. I would so die. You're, okay, so just to like set the scene here, you've been climbing at this point for what, 18 hours? Yep. You're complete, beyond exhausted because you've really been climbing for like two weeks right. straight. You're completely exhausted. Most of the people are out of oxygen by this point. So yep. you, you're in no supplemental oxygen. So you're oxygen deprived. It's 100 degrees below zero. It's dark out. Yeah. And you're trying to like find your way down the mountain following these guides who are also human and don't really know, it turns out don't really know where they're going. Yeah. So, okay. So this is kind of nuts. 
So they had an oxygen stash, speaking of, on the way down, right? Mm -hmm. But what ends up happening, Andy Harris gets to the oxygen stash. Andy Harris, who's another guide from Adventure Consultants, who's the third guide from that group. Remember, he uh, summited with John Krakauer early early on, so he was one of the first ones. But he gets to the oxygen stash, and he gets on the radio and says that they're all empty. No one, everyone's going like, what the fuck? Like, no, they're not. We have a bunch of oxygen canisters there for us when we're coming down because we've been on oxygen this whole time we're going to need a new stash and he keeps getting on and insisting and they say that he's like talking over people like no i'm here and i'm checking them and they're totally empty and they said it was like to the point of irrationality that they were like what is going on with this oh and john krakauer experiences firsthand on his way down so the very beginning of of the book is him talking about panicking because his oxygen is running out right and he gets down to the south summit and andy harris is there and he says hey dude i need another oxygen bottle and andy's like no dude they're all empty and he's like what the fuck and he flips out internally because he's like what am i gonna do i can't make it down without another oxygen bottle so he starts testing them in his there's a way to do it if you plug the bottles into your gauge it'll tell you right and he realizes like no these are fine right and tries to tell andy that andy just like is not listening to him right and he's and he says in retrospect it was very clear that something he was he was had hypoxia and was dealing with some kind of his brain was not functioning properly. Totally. And John Cracker just didn't didn't do anything about it, didn't say anything about it, and yeah. just kept going down. Yeah. And that's, I think, the thing he feels the most guilty about, that he yeah. didn't say something, say something and say, dude, yeah, you, we have to get you down from here. You're not, your brain is not functioning properly. Totally. So, so that situation also contributed to this next part. So, okay, they get down below the South Coal, so they're super close to Camp 4. They're like, Almost there. And Yasuko Namba, who was part of the adventure consultants team from Japan, her oxygen ran out and she sat down and refused to move anymore. And at this point, right, they're coming down back also, like can barely move. He's like fucked. So Well, and though and this is the scariest part, they have two Sherpas with them as well. Yeah. We haven't talked about because I actually don't know their names. Uh-huh. But they're, they're, there's two Sherpas in this big group of people, and they've been following the Sherpas. So the, there's yep. the two guides, and they've been like, okay, the Sherpas know where to go. Yeah. And they, they're wandering around in the South Cole, which is basically like a big flat expanse that the camp is on it, but it's pretty big. And so... And bordered on two sides by just like... cliffs. Yeah, like 4,000 foot drops. Yeah. So this huge, like, imagine, like, a very, very giant flat field with a small camp on it bordered where you could just fall off two of the sides because it's on a cliff. So they're wandering around this this expanse, and they're following the Sherpas, and they're like, okay, the Sherpas know where they're going. And then the Sherpas start to double back, and the guides are like, shit, they don't know where they're going. And that's when they realize they're like, we're fucking lost. Yeah. And so that's when they're like, okay, okay, what are we going to do here? And they talk about, they end up stumbling around. For hours. Oh my god. Okay. Ugh. Girl, this is this. This gave me literal chills when I was reading into thin air. So it's ten p.m. at this point. Okay, it's just just to reiterate how long. Like John Crawford got to his tent at six. Yeah. So we're talking four hours after that. Yeah. They're still out there wandering around. Right. Neil Beidelman, who's with this whole group says that he's walking around blindly in the snow trying to find out where he's supposed to go. And then all of a sudden, oh God, I just got to chill again. He says all of a sudden he walked over a little rise. 
Oh my god, I seriously have chills. I just have chills running through my body. <laughs> he walked over a little rise, and it felt like I was standing on the edge of Earth. And I could sense a huge void just beyond. Oh my fucking god. So he's at the very edge of the coal. So oh my he, god. There's like, what, a 7,000 foot drop <gasps> underneath him. And he's like, okay, shit, stop. Yeah. We keep doing this. We're going to, like, fucking walk off the edge of We're this thing. We, we got to fucking stop. Right. And so he gets everybody together in what they call the huddle. The huddle. The huddle. And they just basically are, like, in the, like, lee of, a like, a boulder. Right. Which doesn't provide a lot of protection. And they yeah. just, like, sit there. They sit there. They punch each other. They try to, like, move their limbs so they don't freeze to death. Yeah. Which, I mean, and the fact that they haven't frozen to death yet is out of control that right. everybody's still alive at this point is crazy i know and so neil Bidelman is like okay if i can just wait here long enough he's like just like last night the weather cleared at 11 right. p.m so maybe that'll happen again tonight and if i watch if i really pay attention to the weather and it clears i can figure out where to go and right. i can figure out where the campus and it happens yes so they wait and then all of a sudden he's like it's clear <gasps> enough and he and is a club shoning yep and and lady gamgard but they figure out where the camp is, and they're yeah. like, okay, we got to go, but they can't take everybody. So the people who are not capable of walking, they just have to leave behind. Yes. Also, Sandy Pittman the whole time was screaming, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Like, <sighs> fuck you, bitch. Then maybe you shouldn't climb Mount Everest. I want to be sympathetic because, of course, it's a horrible situation to be in, but it's... Lady, you are not up to this I shit. Know. Don't do this. I like, know. You're just, you're not. It's ridiculous. But so she's one of the people who gets left behind. Right. So the rest of them go. Sandy Pittman, Charlotte Fox, uh, Yasuko Beck, and then Tim Madsen. Who's Charlotte's boyfriend. Right. And he's kind of the most, like, coherent of all of them at this point. And he kind of stays behind to, like, they make sure that everything's going to be cool. Let's shift perspective to Tolly now, to Anatoly. Okay. So Anatoly fucking gets back to camp at 5 p.m. Oh, is it that late? I thought it was earlier than that. Right, I know. So some places say 4.30, some places say 5 p.m., right? Because he had cruised down way Dude. before of all, way before all the clients ever, he was the first person back in camp. Yeah, he was like going around people. Okay, and his defense of himself, so basically he wrote an entire book that yep. was his defense right. of, of his actions, because John Krakauer is... Schumacher is critical of him, but I don't feel like he's crazy critical of him. Dude, I feel like he's kind of crazy critical of him, and this is I why. I don't think he is. When I read the book, I was like, that fucking Anatoly guy is such a dick. I See, I didn't, and I feel like, yeah, he's critical, but I also feel like he tempers it with saying, yeah, but... Anatoly did these things that were fucked up, but he did these things that were sort of heroic and yeah, great. Yeah, I guess. I don't feel like he's too far in either direction. Other people disagree with me, clearly. But regardless, I think everyone agrees. Anatoly did not use oxygen, did not carry a backpack, and came down way really ahead fast. of everybody else. And didn't have a radio. So, like, nobody had a fucking radio. Like, Dude, none... that's all Scott, though. It, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. a Scott Fisher thing. Uh -huh. Like, who would not give their guys fucking radio? That makes no sense. Even in 1996, how much would a fucking, like, fucking walkie-talkie cost? $100? Really? You're not going to have your people communicate? Girl, honestly, though, I think they were just all smoking too much weed. Like, hella weed and all Scott the time. Scott Fisher like, was smoking hella fucking weed. So yeah. Anatoly is back by himself, and his excuse is, oh, 
no, I just had to be, like have my strength up in case, you know, they needed my help. And I'm like, right. wait a second. You're all the way down at Camp 4. To, for you to get up, go back out to help people, that makes no fucking sense. And you would have no clue what's happening because you don't have a fucking radio. Yeah. Like, that doesn't make any logical sense. So I don't know if that's his fault. I don't know if that's Scott's fault. I don't know if it's both. Regardless. He said Scott was a cool with a plan. He and insists. I, I believe he may be correct. I mean, yeah. I, I think he may be telling the truth on that one. Well, I mean, it sounds like Scott was pretty much like, hey, "Do what you want." So you Scott know, Scott Fisher seems like a major dude, bro. Yeah, he's who a was total, like, total "Whatever, man, just follow your bliss." Yeah, and I'm like, that's <laughs> not a good way to run an expedition. Actually, like, no, you need to have more rules than that. Yeah, and so I kind of feel like the fact that spoiler alert, nobody died from his expedition except for him right. is incredible. I know, right? Because he was the jackass of everybody. I'm like, what? I know. It's so crazy to me. And maybe he was a fine human being. It sounds like he was, from all accounts, like a very nice person. But I don't think he had... I mean, he was only 40. Yeah. He was my age, basically. Right. And I feel like he seems like those sort of not very mature 40-year-old dudes that you meet who don't want to you know don't want to be a buzzkill don't want to yeah you know like rain on someone else's parade by telling them what to do and it's like yeah well, that's what you're supposed to do though because there people die if you don't do that yeah i know right i don't I, and like so i don't know when people are saying like oh well scott said this or scott you know knew the pl-. i mean like i totally trust them oh i do too yeah so I yeah. so I think a lot of the shit that happened with Anatoly may have may you could blame Scott Fisher for at least some totally, of it. Totally, yeah. And honestly, the climb made me feel way more sympathetic to him too. Like he actually was a fucking hero. Oh, but I think John Krakow acknowledges that he was a hero. I do. I do. I mean, I think he's very upfront about like, yeah, dude, he totally went out and saved kind of every, kind of everybody. So so okay. So what happens is. Stuart Hutchinson starts to kind of realize, because he's still up. Remember, he came back down early. And he's the most functional of the people who are at Camp 4 at this point. Right. Like, he's not totally wasted. And he realizes, uh-oh, people have not come back yet. This is bad. This is really bad. So by 7.30, Anatoly goes out to kind of look for the groups and figure out, like, hey, where is everyone? He talks about how his, the visibility was so bad and he headed back to camp around 9 without having seen anything. At 12.45, 12.45 a.m. the next morning, mm-hmm. Clev Sh- uh, Shaning, Lainey Gamelgard, Mike Groom, and Neil Beidelman show up at the, at the camp. And they're like, oh, fuck. We were in this huddle. Like, you need to go without climbing at all. You just need to go straight for about 15 minutes, and that's where everyone is. They said, we're 15 minutes away from mm-hmm. the, from camp. Anatoly's going around trying to find people to, like, help him. Everyone's fucked up because they just had been climbing. The Sherpas, who had just been chilling there all day, fucking poisoned themselves with carbon monoxide by, by cooking, cooking in their in tent. tent. I'm like, wait a sec. Wait, wait a sec. Do they not know that? Like, I, know. I don't understand. Like, they, know. They, they have experienced climbing. They've experienced with tents. They've experienced with, um, you know, cook stoves. Like, really? They don't know? Like, don't, don't do that I in know. a tent? What the fuck? I feel huh. like that a baby knows that. But they were, like, throwing up blood. I know! What? (laughs) Like, they were really fucked up. So, bottom line, Anatoly has no No help. help, No help to to go do this. But he's like, you know what? I'm going to go do this. So he fucking goes out. And it's like 1 a.m. at this point. 
goes out, can't find anything. So he has to fucking come back, right? At this point, because he, he had walked like 15 or 20 minutes and didn't see anyone. So he comes all the way back. At this point, it's almost 2 a.m. And he gets more information from them. And he's saying, like, they can barely speak. Like, Neil Beidelman can't talk. Lady Gamelgard can barely speak. So he's not really getting a lot of good information. But he, they, he, they kind of give more information. And he goes back out and finds them this fucking time. Because Tim Madsen's headlamp is still, go, is still, like barely on and is dying and he sees the lamp and oh like, my god oh it's like oh so my dramatic. god it's so dramatic it's it's like such a movie it, it is and they, they oh made a movie which really sucked by the way because did I, it suck i almost watched it oh i night. saw it in the theater of course i did oh my god no it's so bad doesn't jake gyllenhaal play scott fisher yeah yes which he's not blonde high but he has that kind of like, what's up? Kind like of like, dude bro he situation. can do that. Oh my God. So, fuck. I mean, so Anatoly ends up dragging one by one. He takes Sandy Pittman's first fucking of first. Course. Of course he does. And then Charlotte Fox. Uh-huh. And then, and Tim Madsen, I think, can walk. Yep. And so the only two people left are Beck and Yusuko, and who, who Anatoly considers too far gone at this point. Right. Like, is like, okay, these people, like, Yusuko is like, Seriously, like acting dead at Dude, but this, this point. Is, this is the creepy thing. Tim Madsen talks about being out there, and like he thinks Yasuko's dead. Her gloves off, and her hand is like completely frozen in like a claw, and then all of a sudden she arches her neck and tries to like sit up. Yeah, and then she laid back down and didn't move anymore. And then Beck. The reason he sort of is, they don't deal with him anymore, is he's like, he stands up and he's like, I got this all figured out. Oh, yeah. And it stands up like on top of a rock or something and is yeah. blown backwards and to like far enough away that they, they can't see him. Yeah. And then when, when Anatoly shows up, like he's, same thing, like he's basically like can't move on his own and right. Anatoly can't drag him back. So these two right. people have no, like, or cannot walk or move on their own. So he just leaves them there. Right. And thinks that they're dead. Totally. Beck and Yusuke are still out there. Everyone else gets back to camp, one by one, obviously, at 4.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that takes us to the next day. All right. Okay, so we got to backtrack, though. So this yeah. while this whole thing has been going on, there are still people up on the mountain. So yeah. in the Adventure Consultants crew, there's Rob Hall, who's the leader, uh-huh. Doug Hansen, and Andy Harris, who's a guide. So yes. there's two guides and one client. Uh-huh. And basically, as far as we know, Rob Hall was on the summit waiting for Doug Hansen at, like, fucking 4.30. Four. Yeah. Like, way too late. Once again, like, way, way, way too late. Right. Doug got to, as far as we know, got to the summit. They started back down. And we think that Doug, like, collapsed at that point and, like, just could not move. And, and this is all, like, speculation because no one is really sure what what happened. But they think that probably Rob called Andy Harris, who was down at the South Summit, and said, come help me. Uh-huh. Doug's not moving. I can't get him down. Andy went up, and then we don't know what happened. All we know at that point is that there were radio transmissions from Ooh. Rob down to base camp, which I've actually heard some of. There was a documentary that I saw that actually played recordings no. of some of those. Yep. Was it horrible? Yep. So there was a transmission that they think was done accidentally by Rob Hall. They think he yeah. like hit his button accidentally. He's just like, come on, come on, come on. You've got to keep moving. You've got to keep moving. Wait, and, and this is at 
okay, this happens at 2.46 a.m. So the first call for help is like radioed down PM or at 4.30 p.m. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're calling down to Andy and saying, we need you to bring us oxygen. Yeah. And so at 2.46 a.m., that friend, and they had been communicating. So his friend was down at, like, base camp. Mm-hmm. And he kept calling up to him and being like, come down. Like, this is come Guy down. Cotter. Yeah, yeah, Guy Cotter. Yeah. And he's like, you need to come down now. Like, start heading down, start heading down. And But then at 2.46 a.m., he hears this accidental transmission. transmission. Which is just like, you gotta, like, you gotta move, you gotta move. And they, they don't know who he's talking to. If he's talking to Doug, if he's talking to Andy. Right. But they think that they're probably still coming down at that point. Yeah. And then the next time they hear from him is in the morning. And at, he, yeah, 445 And in the he's morning. alone at that point. Yeah. And they, they have no clue of what happened to Doug. They don't even know that Andy was up there because as far as they know, Andy made it down to Camp 4 because John Krakauer had told them that. Right. Because John Kakor had thought that he had seen Andy Harris right at right before you get to Camp 4. Yeah, so we talked about this in the last one where he sees that guy that he thinks he falls down that big cliff going down into Camp 4. And he's like, that guy definitely broke his neck. And then he turns around and waves at him and he's like, that was Andy Harris. So they thought Andy had made it back. So they think that Rob is like delusional because Rob keeps saying, where's Andy Harris? Where's Andy Harris? He was here last night. Right. But they're thinking this guy's delusional because that he's down in camp four. Right. And it turns out, no, Andy Harris probably had been up there at some point, but it's very fuzzy what actually occurred because we don't know because they, it's they, all coming from Rob who, you know, right. was dealing with a lot. So, but anyway, at 4.45 in the morning, he's alone at that point. And he, he says, is. Doug is gone. Doug's and they gone. don't know if that means he's dead or if he, like, fell off the mountain or, like, they don't know what that means. Right. And then he says, Andy was here with me last night, but now I don't see him. Where yeah. is he? And he keeps asking, where is Andy, Andy make it down? And they, they don't know what to say. So they're like, yeah, sure, Andy's down here. Just, like, come down. Right. And so at that point, they're trying they're trying to convince him. So they spend, like, the, basically the next, like, 24 hours, like, trying to convince Rob Hall to, to come. Down. To come down. And this is fucked up. They, at like 5 a.m., they patched through the first call from his wife. Yeah. So his wife Who's calls from New Zealand. seven months pregnant. Yeah. Which is like, oh, God. Right. And they're like trying to encourage him like, you have to come down. You have to like see your baby who's going to be born soon. And uh, him and his wife are talking. At 5.30, Rob Hall took some decks. <laughs> decks. And then he asked about like everyone else. Like, did they make it down? They, that was when they lied and were like, he's okay. And then Rob Hall says that Andy's ice axe is here. And he says, some of Andy's gear is still here. I thought he must have gone ahead in the nighttime. Listen, can you account for him or not? And when they dodged his question, he was like, okay, I mean, his ice axe is here and his jacket and things. His jacket. His fucking Which jacket. means, I mean, clearly means he had hypothermia and took and off took his, his clothes off, yeah. And... So it's like, it's weird that like, we don't know what occurred during this period of time, but you can only imagine like how fucked up that must have been. Right. So you got Rob Hall, who's a a really good climber and dealing with at least one person, maybe two people who are completely incapacitated and trying to get them down. Yet Rob knowing that if he leaves a client, because Guy Cotter, who's talking to him earlier, is like, dude, just leave Doug, just fucking leave Doug and just come down. And Rob is like, I can't do that. Because he knows it. I mean, if you did that, your career is 
fucking yeah, over. Totally. And, and you, I mean, how would you live with yourself? Like, you, you yeah. brought someone up there and then you, like, killed them and right. left? Like, And it's this person that you totally talked into coming. Oh, absolutely. And there is a detail that on the way up, Doug Hansen was ready to, like, stop and turn around. And that Rob... Talked him into keep going. Talked him into keep going up there. So at that point, you can, there's no fucking going back. No. You have to get into the summit. That's why he waited so fucking long because he had to get dug to the summit. So it's like totally tragic because, of course, I I mean, it's fucked up, but of course you understand why Rob would have done all the things that he did, but it was going to kill him. Right. And it did. I mean, yeah. That's what, of course, was ended up happening to him. So he's up there for, he spends another night up there and survives. I mean, that's crazy. He spends two nights up there. Right. At the three o'clock, Sherpas go up to try to get him. They turn around 20 minutes later because it's so bad. They're still talking to him, which is, that fucks me up so badly. At 6.20 p.m., he talks to his wife again. And this is their conversation. So this this is so sad to me. He ate snow ahead of time. So his, his voice would sound better. Right. Because his voice was sounding like hella haggard and he was really dehydrated. And he said, I love you. Sleep well, my sweetheart. Please don't worry too much. And those were his last words. And she totally should have worried because he died. Of course he did. Oh, my God. And she knew that. And there's no I way know. to get somebody down. I mean, she, and everybody yeah. knew that. You can't get somebody down from that high. Like, Gross. They, Could you they, imagine just talking to, like, your husband while he's dying up on top of a mountain? Oh, God. I don't know if that would be better or worse. Like, oh, I would be, not talk to him. I think not talking would actually be better. Oh, my God. <laughs> so much better. Like, oh, God. That conversation will haunt you for the rest of your life. So I will try to find the documentary that they actually have recordings oh, of some of these conversations. Because there, there was actually a lot of conversations. Did you read that Everest, like, I haven't just read it photo? yet. But, okay. Because read that because... The IMAX expedition who wrote that book, they were monitoring oh a lot god. of this those phone calls. And oh. so you they have transcripts <gasps> of a lot I of it. I have to read that. Oh my god. You absolutely do. Oh my god, it sounds amazing. Okay, so there's that. And then there's Scott, Scott. Fisher who made it farther down. So right. he was coming down and he was with He at made least, it to the balcony. He made Yeah. So he wasn't really that far above Camp Four, right. really. And he was with Lopsang John uh-huh. Boo. Yep. And basically, I mean, I think it sounds like he was suffering from some sort of either hypothermia or... Or, or haste or hate or whatever. Or something. Like, something was wrong with his brain. Right. he kept trying to... He was saying he was going to jump. Yeah. I mean, he was doing, like, really crazy shit. Like, saying, like, I'm going to jump off the side. Like, I'm sick. I can't make it. Yeah. And Lopsang kept trying to get him to go down and just couldn't. At right. some point, he was like, he's too big. I couldn't carry him. So that's happening. That, that drama is unfolding. And then... Two other Sherpas show up with Makalu Gao, who's yeah. the head of the Taiwanese expedition, and then they just fucking leave him there. They yeah. Just, they just... And pl- they keep going. They plop him down next to Scott, <laughs> and they're like, see ya. Bye. And they just keep going. So then you have Makalu Gao and Scott Fisher sitting next to each other. I don't even know if these two men knew each other. Yeah. Really. Lopsang is like, okay, I'm going to go down and get you help. Right. I'll be back up. So they leave these two men sitting together, slowly freezing to death. Yeah. So, all, like, all of these three things were happening simultaneously. Right. You've got like, these three different dramas. Unfolding. At the, t- you know, the sort of the top, the middle, and then at Camp 4. Right. At the same time. Totally. So, the huddle's been taken care of. We know what happens to Rob Hall. So, Scott Fisher, they, d- Sherpas do manage to go back up to him and Makalu Gal, 
And when they get there, Mak Lu Gao is actually savable, which is yeah, that's shocking nuts. to me. I know because they're they're in exactly the same situation. I mean, there's no reason that that Scott Fisher would be worse off than Mak Lu Gao. I don't think, but for whatever reason, Mak Lu Gao like they can revive him. Going so they in his put favor. they put oxygen on Scott and turned it up all the way to see if they could um, revive him. Revive him. Tolly ends up coming up later and pulls his mask off. He said he couldn't get a pulse or anything, that his jaw was completely clenched, his eyes were fixed, and that inside the mask, he said when he took it off, it was, like, completely blue inside of his mask. Ugh. So, so yeah. yeah. So, Makalugao gets taken down. Right. And Scott Fisher is left, because yeah. he's, he's dead, basically. So, at this point, we have the dead people are Rob Hall, uh-huh. Doug Hansen, Andy Harris, right. Scott Fisher, mm-hmm. Yasuko Namba, no, Namba. Oh, yet. so in okay. The morning, well, I mean, basically, basically, she's basically well, dead. So in the morning, what ends up happening is that the Sherpas and Stuart Hutchinson go to find Yasuko and Beck to see if, like, there were you know they can be saved. They followed Tolly's directions. The Sherpas, when they came upon them, wouldn't get close because apparently they're super superstitious about being dead around bodies. dead bodies. Hutchinson said that both of the bodies were partially buried when they came apart. Like their their bottom, their legs were out, but their like whole top half was covered in snow. And their faces were covered in ice. ice. Like, like fucking, a chunk of ice. Ugh, like ice like totally burying their faces. Oh, that stresses me out. What the fuck? So like, they, like neither one of them have gloves on. So their hand, I mean, like their hands, are, I mean, they're completely frozen. They chipped all the ice off, off of Yastuko's face. She was still fucking breathing, okay? Her hands are frozen solid. Her eyes were dilated, and it was clear that she was, like, totally dying. Beck, they chipped his layer off. They, this is what they said. Balls the ice, or balls of ice the size of grapes were matted to his hair and eyelids. And he also was alive. His gloves were missing, but the Sherpas were like, you need to leave them. There's nothing you could do from them. They're, Which they're is dead. totally legit. And they were like, these people are like as close to death as you can be. Right. And Stuart is a doctor. Yeah. I mean, and so he he's with the Sherpas and he goes back and, t- and has like sort of a meeting with John Krakauer. Yeah. Uh, John Tasky and Luke. Because, what are you saying? Kasish. Wait, okay. I never can do Kasishki. this name. Kasishki. Kasishki. No, I can't, I can't do it. That's too hard. <laughs> and basically has this meeting and was like, should I leave these people to die? And the, and the consensus like, was, yes, yes. We, should, we should. So. Um, <laughs> and then the get, fucking craziest thing happens. You guys, get fucking ready because this is the craziest part of the whole fucking story. Oh, my God. So everyone's chilling at Camp 4. Just like, you know, having some tea. Trying to figure out if they should like leave them all dead, you know. Trying to, whose life do we save? Well, I mean, they're and they're, at this point they're like back dead. Yes, you goes dead. dead. End of story. Late morning rolls around. They're still talking to fucking Rob Hall, right? All the other people like they start descending. They're like, you know what? We did what we ca- we could. We need to start going down the mountain. This is also the point where the fucking rocks come down the mountain and hit that Sherpa in the head. Remember? One of them, they're going down, and they're with a Sherpa, and the, all of a sudden, all these rocks start shooting down the mountain, and it just beans the Sherpa right in his fucking skull and cracks a big hole in it. So they're like, 
when is all this shit going to stop? Like, this is too much bad shit all happening. So, okay. Some guys from the IMAX expedition are, like, bringing up some O's, which is what they call oxygen canisters. And they get up to the camp around 4.30 p.m., okay? This is 4.30 p.m. the next day, 24 hours after shit started to get real, right? So they're, like, they're standing there hanging out, and they see this guy walking into camp. And let me just, like, describe how they describe it. This person's bare right hand, naked to the frigid wind and grotesquely frostbitten, was outstretched in a kind of odd frozen salute. Whoever it was reminded Athens, that's the guy who's talking, of a mummy in a low-budget horror film... And they realized it was motherfucking Beck motherfucking Weathers. After getting up and walking on his own after he has been laying out there almost 24 hours. Yeah. Very close to 24 hours. Yeah. Okay. And the way Beck describes this experience. Oh, no. And I haven't, he's actually written a book, which I have, I think it's called like Left for Dead or something like that. It's very dramatic, which I have not read. Exactly what happened to him. Yeah. Yeah. That he woke up. Wait, really quick. Can I describe what he describes, like, go, like the losing consciousness is like? It actually sounds kind of like an awesome way to die. Oh, wait, I think freezing to death is totally oh an my awesome God. way to die. I know. So he says, he says he was, he realized he was freezing, which wouldn't be fun, but he goes numb. Not bad. Having a hard time staying focused. <laughs> awesome. And then just dropping off. That's it. That is the way I want to fucking die. Hypothermia, definitely the way to go. Yeah. Hell yeah. 100%. Yep. Give it to me. But he doesn't, for whatever reason, he he doesn't freeze to death. So he says he wakes up, and he thinks he's in bed. So he's like, I didn't feel uncomfortable. I didn't feel, I felt warm. I felt good. So he's feeling like he's just, like, in bed, just having, you know, a normal Sunday morning, then sees his hand in front of him, and it's black. Oh God. And then he's like, oh, shit. And then he remembers everything that had happened the night before, and he was like, okay, I'm in fucking trouble. Yeah. Stands up. Like, is, is it can walk. Because this is, is the crazy. other thing. He also realizes that no one's coming to help him. Yeah, no. That he has to do it himself. Yeah, like, they've left him behind. He's fucking by himself. So he obviously has horrible frostbite in his hands <sighs> and his feet, but stands up. And is like, okay, hmm, let me think about this. Where would the camp be? So he is like the, the fucking presence of mind to think, okay, the wind is blowing in my face. I think camp would probably be towards the wind. Oh, and remember, he's blind. Oh, he's blind. He can't see fucking shit either. Like, he's literally completely blind in one eye. And in the other eye, he can barely see the, he can barely see, like, things. Shapes. Like, right. fuzzy shapes. Right. But he manages to think, like, okay, if I walk directly into the wind, I will probably hit camp. How he even manages to figure that out, I don't know. But he's right. So he starts walking in the right direction and after a while sees these bluish, what he thinks are rocks. And then he's like, oh, no, those are probably tents. So starts walking towards it and then, like, bumps into whoever just told that story. Right. So that was his experience of that same thing. Yeah. Here's the fucking crime. So they put Beck in a tent by himself. By himself. What the fuck? Number one. Well, they thought, to be fair, they did still think he was going to die. 
Okay, but don't put him in a fucking okay. tent by himself. I agree. I oh agree. Oh my god. Okay, so then night happens, right? This crazy, st- another storm, crazy storm comes through with like hurricane force winds, right? Tents are just like fucking flapping all over the place. They wake up in the morning and John Krakauer is like, oh yeah, I'm going to go check on Beck. He's probably dead. Oh no, Beck's not dead. Okay, his tent has been completely flattened. There's fucking ice and snow all over the place in his tent. And Beck's still alive. And this is super heartbreaking to me. He says when John John Krakauer walks in there, he says, Jesus fucking Christ... What's a guy have to do to get a little help around here? And he had been screaming for help for two or three hours. Well, and the worst part about it is he had been wearing a watch. Oh, God, this is so fucked up. Uh, on one of his hands. And as his his wrist started to swell because of the frostbite. Oh, God. And it was a plastic watch and he couldn't get it off because his <sighs> hands were too fucked up. So he completely ended up losing circulation in one of his hands because of that wristwatch, which, and if you see pictures of him now, he's, he told, like, he lost one hand, like, at the wrist, and yeah. that was the hand, and yeah. it's because of the watch. Like, oh it just God. totally cut off circulation, and so it's like, if you're just laying there, it's whatever, 100 degrees below zero, you're by yourself, you're uh. in a tent, and you're freezing to death, you're freaked out, you've got frostbite, which I imagine is really kind of painful, and you're you know, you're losing all circulation in your hand. Oh and you God. know that that means you're going to lose your fucking hand and you can't, <coughs> and you can't get the watch off. Oh my God. So and he's, fucked and up. he's a doctor. Yeah. So he's a pathologist. He's a pathologist. So, but if you lose your hands as a doctor, like, yeah, you're you fucked. You can't do shit. Forever. I really feel like, and I know that you have to save yourself when you're on the mountain, but like, seriously, they could have done so much more to help him out. And the fact that he's alive is like, so fucking amazing and only due to him but like no one else but not even anything he did it was just like his body was like nope you're not gonna die die. um so they shot him full of decks and then he was actually able to walk down i mean down the fucking help but like he was able to walk himself and well so he and makalu gower two of the two people that had really horrible frostbite right were both able to walk down the mountain by themselves yeah and then they got to camp two and there's actually photographs and there's actually a TED talk of the doctor who did a lot of the, I don't know what you'd call it, the triage work with them. It's oh, not really shit. Triage, but the, the, the thawing of their... Oh my God. I really want to look at the pictures. It's... I, there are pictures. I saw one, but it just looked white. Like completely... No, they're black. Huge and white. No, they're totally I black. think there was some put something on it, but it was like... It was. It looked like there was. It looked like it was like crusty white. There's that, but then they're also like their noses oh, yeah. black totally and their black. hands were black. Beck had like a huge fucking black, just huge spot on his cheek too. Ugh. His nose was like. Oh, I, I like mean, I gone. think his nose was on. They they had removed almost all of it and yeah. then reconstructed it with skin from other parts of his body. Yeah. Oh my and, god! And there's pictures after it that look like at, right after god. surgery that looked hella fucked up. So, yeah, I mean, the doctor said that it's the worst frostbite they've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, it's just out of control. Yeah, so they, they both make it down, but they can't get through the ice fall. And so they right. somehow manage to coerce a Nepalese pilot, helicopter pilot, into mm-hmm. coming and picking them up. Right, and it's super risky because I thought that, like, the that this was the first time that a 
helicopter had been above base camp. Is that not true? I think there had been a time in the... They, I think John Krakauer says this, that in the 70s, there had been oh. one other helicopter rescue above base camp. Okay. Like, above the ice fall. Yeah. Because that's like, it. Because they can't... The air is so thin up there that it's really, like, really dangerous for helicopter pilots to be up there. Yeah. So they take all this Kool-Aid. So they get down to the Western Coombe, which is, like, a relatively flat place. And, like, they take red Kool-Aid and mark a giant X that would be a good place for the helicopter to come land. So he approaches two times and can't make the landing. Comes back again, is able to land it, but then he puts his finger up. Like, you can only take one person. And, and takes Makalu. Of course. And fucking Beck. Can you imagine Beck? Oh, it's cool. I just, like, zombie walked back from my death. And then I, like like, survived in a tent all night when no one was helping me. And now, thanks, I get to be the second person that gets help. Assholes. Man. But they, they come back and get him. And so he does end up getting a helicopter ride back and uh-huh. survived. They both did. Yeah. And seems very zen about the whole thing. So, you know, God, <laughs> God bless him. I don't know. Because John Krakauer, too, which is the reason I want to have sex with him, is because <laughs> he's so clearly full of angst and self-hatred. Like, he is not zen about fucking any of this. Like, he hates himself, kind of hates everyone else, yeah. and is miserable. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly the correct way to feel yeah. about this. Yeah. So, I mean, there's not a lot more dramatic stuff happen. I mean, the people we said died, died, and then everyone else got down. Yeah, so, like, okay, the total death toll was 12 people. But that's not just from these... Right. There were other people from other expeditions. So the people from these two expeditions, so it was Rob Hall, Scott Fisher, Doug Hansen, Andy Harris, and Yasuko Namba, and then seven other from other... Other expeditions. ...died, yeah, including the... So we talked last time about the Indo-Tibetan group that went up. They were coming from the... The Tibetan side. Like, they were coming from the north side. So, on while all of this shit that we've just been talking about is going on, there are many, not many, but there's, what, three different ways you can climb Everest? But there's, like, basically the Tibetan side or the Nepalese side. So, yeah. everything we've been talking about has been the Nepalese side. Right. Which is the easier way to get up. Right. The Tibetan side is the northern side. And so, while all of our story was going on, there was also people climbing up from that side. Right. Including a group of Indian climbers who... I, I don't know the full story, but ended up having problems and dying. Right. So only three of them actually ended up making it even close to the top. But they didn't. They thought they had summited, but they hadn't. They hadn't. Which right. is why nobody saw them up there. Right. So this Japanese team was up there at the same time. This is this is totally nuts. And like they saw that they were clearly in distress. Like some of them had like one guy had like torn off his clothes because he was like dying of hypothermia. Another guy, they said, was, like, crouched on the ground. And, I mean, like, it sounds fucking crazy. And they weren't all together. They had kind of spread out. They didn't help. These ja- this Japanese team didn't help no. them at all. And we're very sort of, like, not even ashamed of saying that. Right. Like, we're like, no, of course we didn't help them. Right. Why would we do that? Exactly. She was like, we didn't know them. No, we didn't give them any water. We didn't talk to them. They had severe high altitude sickness. They looked as if they were dangerous. And then another one also said... We were too tired to help. Above 8,000 meters is not a place where people can afford morality. Uh, I kind of agree with that statement. In a way. I also kind of agree, but girl, like, if you were, I know for a fucking fact, if you were up there 
and saw these guys in distress, you would at least try to give them some water or something. I mean, like, it might not be helpful, but, like, you can't just, like, leave people. But as John Krakauer says, like, you cannot, unless you've been there, you can't understand what it's like to be that fucked up. And And it's totally true. That out, really, it's the oxygen deprivation that I think gets you more than anything else. And I think you can't know what that feels like and so i'm not i can't i can't give it a pass or not right because i just don't know well the reason that i bring this up is that i know exactly why you brought this up yeah (laughs) one of these people laugh about this This i know it's super fucked up that's me i'm sorry but like okay honestly this is the thing though like the thing that drew me so much to everest was the fact that there are just like 200 dead bodies hanging out like all all over the place up there and one of them that I read, that was the first one I read about, was one called Green Boots, who actually ended up becoming kind of like a mile marker. Yeah. <laughs> like, so people would say, like, oh, there's Green Boots Cave. We're, like, this far from the top. And, like, it was one of these guys who is Green Boots. He ended up kind of, like, getting in this little cave. And his body's since been, like, kind of blown into a crevasse. Crevasse. Which I hate that. I don't like that. I like crevice better. I know they're different. But his body's been... It's changed. And, I mean, I think that's kind of the state of a lot of the bodies up there is they kind of blow away. and But some of them hang out for a long time. A long time. And who so it's really who interesting. Who's the one I sent you her name? Hannelore Schmatz. Hannelore Schmatz. Okay, so... I'm just going to tell a little story yeah. here. This is actually not related to her, but in my head it is. Okay, so when I was a kid, I don't know if other people have this, but I have memories of seeing things on TV that in retrospect I feel like I could not have seen <laughs> on TV, but I remember seeing them. So anyway, my memory is that I was watching something on PBS and it was about mountain climbing. Oh. And it was, and I remember it being a documentary. Now, once again, in retrospect, there's no way that's true. But it was a woman. So if I'm holding the camera, I'm looking, I'm above this woman and I'm looking down on her. And she's crawling up sort of, she, you know, she's got ropes and shit. And she's crawling up a, a mountain, you know, a very steep sort of cliff. And she gets up to the top and she sort of looks up at the camera and realizes that she's not going to make it and sort of slides back down. Oh my fucking God. I hope that wasn't real. That's the thing. Like there's no, it couldn't have been, but I can very, very distinctly remember remember what it looked like. And it must've been a movie, but I can't think of what fucking movie it would have been. Yeah. Anyway, that <laughs> image of this woman like sliding down this cliff is very linked to Hannelore Schmatz, who mm. was a German, German German woman who was killed on or who died on Mount Everest in what, 1979. Yeah, they call her the German lady. The German lady. And so she she's not anymore, but she used to be on the main path going up the Nepalese side mm-hmm. and you would she was sitting there with her hair blowing. Yeah. So you would come across her and her body was like actually sitting up and yeah. she had long hair and it would blow in the breeze. Yeah. And I was like, what the Whoa. fuck? Like how fucking scary is that? Oh my God. I know. And like, there's a place called Rainbow Valley. Oh yeah. And it's called that because there's just so many dead people in all kinds of different colors of snow gear that it's just like a, a rainbow. Ugh. I can't imagine that. And, okay, so if you climb Everest now, and I have seen photos and I've read lots of articles about this, 
apparently it's just like like wall-to-wall people so like you're climbing up it's not like it was in 1996 Back in the day. like yeah. i mean it's just like you and there's someone in front of you and there's someone behind you and there's yeah. like just people all the way up the ropes yeah. so all of those people are passing by all of those bodies right. so i mean it's like so if you died on everest I mean, you would be famous. Yeah. Because all of these people would sort of acknowledge you. Right. So is that a... I don't know. Like, I could sort of see that as being a good thing. In, well, in a way. Like, during this expedition, too, in 96, they they talk about, like, specifically this one, like, a torso that they come across. Yeah. And I didn't realize that either when I first yeah. read the book, that it was like, no, it's not a full body. It's just, like, it's just, just the torso. torso. Yeah. Yeah. And how that, like, kind of fucked them up, you know? Um, and so I don't know if it, like, wasn't as... I mean, I'm, I'm sure they came across multiple bodies on their during their time there. That's that's totally crazy. And, I mean, it fucked them up. They were like, oh, shit, that could totally be us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, since then, I know Scott Fisher's wife has come out, like, super pissed. Because there used to be a lot of people who would take selfies, like, with his body. Like, his friends. Seriously? Even. Yeah. And they would post them oh, on the internet, and she, God. like, talked about that and was like, what do you think my kids would, you know, my kids could see that. What the fuck would, do- well, never mind. I mean, never mind. yeah. Also, just one more tidbit about dead bodies on Everest. Uh, okay, the body of fucking George Mallory, the oh, first me. one who... He did attempted not, it. Did not summit, but yeah, did attempt, not, well, attempted. Well, we don't know, summited. but I don't think so. So his body from fucking 1924 is unearthed from the snow. Yeah, they found it. Yeah, and it just looks like he's a perfect porcelain man, but with a big hole in his in his butt, a black hole. Yeah, look up photos of this. They, they found it not that long ago. I mean, like, right. like 10 years ago, maybe. Yeah, they buried him since. Like, oh, did they? Yeah. Um, they had like a they had like a ceremony and stuff, but like you would not believe his back. It looks just like a normal. Yeah, back. it's crazy. It's from like almost a hundred years ago. That's the beauty of of you know cold weather. No bacteria. It's so crazy. But you do turn black. He didn't. Yeah, he, but a why lot of people he? do. I don't know why he did it. Yeah. But it's weird. And then some people know. are skeletonized, and some people aren't. I know it's. Uh, so yeah, if you want to just do a deep dive, you know, start Googling like photos of bodies on Everest. Cause yeah, there's very, there's a wide variety of decomposition. Yeah. And I don't understand why that is. I know. It's really interesting. It's fascinating. There are some places though where it gets super warm, like shirt sleeves weather. True. And so I think depending on the altitude you're at and like where you're at, there, in the there's sun, some rotting that can, that can right, occur that or, or eating. I mean, you could definitely. Oh yeah, because that was one of the things that totally totally went up to when to go see Scott, and he tied his backpack around his face so the birds wouldn't get him. That's what he said. There are no birds that high. That, are I, that's there? what I thought too, but that's what Tolly said. Huh. Anyway. On that note, on the birds, like, eating Scott Fisher. You know, whatever. Um, But we know what we're going to talk about next. (gasps) Oh, my God. Do we want to announce it? How should we announce it? Oh, We should do, oh, my God. We should do, like, a topic reveal party. Like, people do those stupid gender reveal parties now for babies. Like, a real party where we invite people? 
that's what they do. That's what people do now with baby genders. And well, then they I, like, I, no, I know, but like for this, what, who, who, who would we invite to our party? Uh, it could Bean. Just, just Paul and Ivan. Yeah. And yeah, Paul, Ivan, Richie, Bean, and Monster. <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, so okay. we will not reveal it now. It will be revealed on Twitter. <laughs> I don't know. Is that where we do this? Oh my God. Should we really do that? Should we just say? Should we just tell people? No, no. Let's do something fun. We won't tell okay. them. Okay. All right. Check Twitter, y'all. Um, <laughs> oh, and go to the website because I'm really proud that I have like a major Amityville section. That's, it's it's fucking good. good. So mydarkhour.net. It's it's good stuff. Like it's all kinds of information about all the topics. I will have an Everest section soon. I don't have it yet, but guys, it, will, it will be there. It's so fucking cool. Also, follow us on Twitter at mydarkpodcast. <laughs> uh, we'll talk to you. Talk to us. Also, if you want to just, like, give us a like and a review on iTunes, that would oh, be yeah. rad also. Do that. We haven't got any, any reviews or likes in a long time. I know. So, it's yeah. kind of making us depressed. We're going to keep on keeping on, but just saying. <laughs> we just, I mean, it would be nice to have a little, like, validation. A little, a little bit. Just a little, little. Anyway, I could just really talk about Everest forever. It's amazing, and I love it so much. And we're maybe going to climb a mountain. Or were you, maybe. Were you in... No. I mean, I just, I feel like, I like, I really... Okay, okay. I what about Mount Kilimanjaro? Ivan is always trying to get me to climb Mount Kilimanjaro because it's in Africa. Okay, so what the hell, let's do it's it. It's like a big hill. Like, you, there's no... I don't even know what fucking country it is. How embarrassing is that? Oh, whatever. It's okay. I should know that. That's terrible. It's okay. Okay, but I... Okay, I don't know what country it is. Let's do it. Let's... Let's climb Kilimanjaro. But he's like, no, no, it's just like a hike. <laughs> like, okay, it's, it's, we're doing all right, it. We, we got it. We're we fucking got it. doing it. We got our mountain done. All right, we'll uh, live tweet it <laughs> our, when <laughs> we'll it happens. Tweet it. Okay. okay, thanks for listening. Bye.